Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where we celebrate cinema from the highfalutin to the mindfalutin. This is a new slogan suggested by a listener of ours. Um, thank you very much. That's a fun and, one. And uh, you no longer have to mix in that uh, the, the sound effect. One more? Okay, one more. There it is. It's, it's not a show until we get a sound effect. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic of uh, some stripe and no renown. I don't have a cool nickname, but uh, who does have a cool nickname? But my scintillating co-host. I don't think it's a cool nickname. I think it's just a nickname. Well, you do have an, uh, I, yeah. All nicknames are cool. It's not as, like as far as I'm concerned. It's not like, you know, Crash Harrington or something. Yeah, you know? like Nitro or whatever. Anyway, my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, w- We've got a lot of reviews for you this week. We're going to be talking about the winners of the 93rd Annual Academy Awards. Uh, we are going to be reviewing the new releases. I had it written down somewhere. <laughs> Mortal Kombat, Together Together, Sisters with Transistors, Hope, Monday, Honeydew, and Jacob's Wife. We're playing a little catch-up because this last week was a nightmare for us, scheduling-wise. And then I got my second vaccine, and I just became kind of a not, zombie. Yeah, knocked and, you out a night, so that, that's a night we can't record. Yeah, it was a rough week. We, we know some people noticed we had fewer podcasts than usual. We're sorry about that. We're trying not to let that happen again. Uh, and uh, also, on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, we're going to be playing a little catch-up, too, because we got two movies to review. Uh, from last week, we have Steven Spielberg's rarely discussed... Uh, uh, sort of bureaucracy comedy the terminal and then we have the 1970s killer car movie the car and i actually think they have some similarities i I can't wait to hear (laughs) (laughs) Um, i i was i'm i've always been a big advocate of programming as criticism i'm I'm on record with this so uh, i've always felt that if you put two films together no matter what they are Mm. you're going your mind will like reach for connections uh, I've I've tested this and uh, proved it wrong a couple times. Hmm. There's no connection between Spice World and The Last Emperor. Not that I could see. British colonialism? Yeah, I was about to say. Like that, that's <laughs> about as far as you can go. Is Peter Spice O'Toole World Spice isn't World? A, Spi- Spice World isn't about colonialism. It's just a British film. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the Spice the Spice Girls colonized oh. popular music. Oh, of course. <laughs> but then. Sometimes they're thin. Sometimes they're thin. But every once in a while, you get something really fascinating. The Spice World and the Forbidden City are pretty much the same, right? There you go. Uh, But uh, in any case, so we're going to be bringing all those movies, and we want to jump right into the Academy Awards. Ordinarily, Whitney and I uh, treat the Academy Awards kind of like a little sport, or at least a little little gambling wager, Mm. where we try to compete to see who can guess the most Academy Awards winners uh, every year. Sometimes we've done wagers, and uh, this year, we just weren't feeling it <laughs> well it, it was an odd year because of the release schedule because they pushed the oscars back and oh mm-hmm. like expanded the window for when films were eligible mm-hmm. totally Everything understandable was, in yeah. that case by the way i of totally course, get that yeah all, all of the traditional beats and rhythms of the year were completely thrown off so it was difficult to uh figure out what had buzz mm-hmm. what was going to be nominated and once it was nominated uh even though i had seen more films in 2020 than i think i had in any other year that is new films mm-hmm. uh there i was still behind yeah same here and i tried to catch up real hard you did a good job and i saw every single film that was nominated for an academy award except for 3 which 3 uh Better Days, which is up for Best International Feature, and then mm-hmm. two of the documentaries. I didn't see Time, 
and I didn't see my octopus teacher, which ended up winning. <sighs> so <sighs> you're, you're way ahead of but me. I, but I saw all the other yeah. films. You're like, way literally way all the other films. I'm, I was I'm, very proud of myself. I usually which try is to not I, even as good as my wife, who's, who who mm-hmm. did see them all. Wow, she was able to catch them. I I, I usually try to see them all. I'm usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year. Things were just really rough, and I, I actually was a little embarrassed by how few films I had mm. seen. Uh, I actually haven't seen... I'm actually not going to tell you which ones, but I haven't seen all of the Best Picture nominees. Okay, mm. fine. I didn't see The Father. All right? I didn't okay. see The Father, and I didn't see Judas and the Black Messiah, and I regret that. Literally, the day I went to see Judas and the Black mm. Messiah on HBO Max was the day they took it off HBO Max. No! And I'm like, no, I can't afford to see it. Okay. Um... So there's a couple of big ones that I'm behind on, but I did see most of the nominee, uh, most of the films that ended up winning, mm. uh, and I didn't see the actual awards ceremony. I know uh, you said you did. I, I did. I watched the telecast. It was directed by Steven Soderbergh this year, who yes. apparently brought a different vibe. Uh, it was a lot more laid back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they filmed it at Union Station rather than in a theater, so uh, they just had. It was just the nominees in the, and not even all the nominees because some were living yeah. in other countries. Yeah. But all of the nominees who were able to make it to Los Angeles, they put in this uh, sort of makeshift theater with tables. Mm-hmm. So that I think they even got food. It was a little bit more like the Golden Globes in that respect. Well, the original Academy Awards was that small a party. Yeah. It yeah. was. It was and, not uh, a big televised event and, because uh, TV didn't exist. So. And I like that uh, because it took out the theatrical element, which meant there weren't a lot uh, of the showier aspects of the night. It was a little bit more stripped down. I always thought it was ironic that uh, the Academy Awards typically celebrate the art form of cinema through the art form of live theater. Yeah, it's it's a little bizarre. I got nothing against live theater, but it's no, kind of like, the... it's kind of like, hey, it's the Grammys and we're going to celebrate all of the Grammy nominated songs with short films. And I'm like, what? <laughs> And we're not going to play the music in those short films. Yeah, weird choices. Uh, I do miss the host. It was another hostless year, and I mm-hmm. miss the idea of a host. But, uh, you know, say la vie. Anyway. Um, uh, and, and they were steaming through. They jumbled up the order of the awards, which is a little weird. Mm-hmm. They didn't l- announce Best Picture last, which was really weird. Uh, the, the, this, let's just talk about the elephant mm-hmm. in the room here. They mm-hmm. announced Best Picture, and then they announced Best Lead Actress, and then Best Lead Actor. Mm-hmm. And the obvious idea here and that no one to the best of my knowledge has explicitly said that this was the plan but i think the obvious idea here was chadwick boseman who was sadly passed away last year Mm -hmm. uh was considered the front runner for best actor so i think what the academy awards (laughs) producers wanted to do was end on a high note they really thought chadwick boseman was gonna win yeah and that was gonna be this big important uh, memorable moment we're gonna put it at the very end we're gonna get out and usually it's um the previous year's actress announces actor and Uh vice versa and they got actress to do actress this year, and then act- and so Joaquin Phoenix was going to read best actor. Okay, which is odd and mm. kind of arbitrary, but whatever. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix announced best actor, and the winner was Anthony Hopkins from The Father, who wasn't even there and didn't like record <laughs> a little segment. So that was just it. He's eighty. Who's he? Eighty three. He's yeah. in England. He's asleep. He doesn't have to do a damn thing. I'm not. I'm not complaining about Anthony Hopkins. He didn't do anything wrong. But like. Mm. What, again, if you ever needed proof that like the producers don't know who won these things, I think that's it. <laughs> because if they had known that, there is absolutely no way they would have not ended with Nomadland winning Best Picture, which is a big deal. Chloe Zhao became only the second woman to win the Academy Award for Best Director and the first woman of color to do so. Yeah, uh, and only the fourth time an Asian person has won Best Director. And two uh, times two, it was twi- Ang Lee. Yeah, twice, two, two of those were Ang Lee. Yeah, for the films other, that didn't win Best Picture, which I think is interesting. Yeah, Life of Pi and Brokeback Mountain, he yeah. won Director for. Both got, yeah. both got snubbed. 
nine. Brokeback Mountain just totally should have won. Oh my <laughs> god, especially Brokeback. My god, <laughs> really over Crash mm. beat it. Yeah, Crash Terrible beat Brokeback Mountain. Uh, and uh, the other one was Bong Joon Ho just last year, and yeah. now Chloe Zhao. So. Yeah. Um, and, and good for her. Listen, yeah, I, it wasn't I, my I favorite love, movie of the year, but it's very well directed. She's amazing. Good for her. I really love Nomadland. I will not begrudge it any of its wins. Not, neither will uh, I. I, I would, filled out one of those ballots mm-hmm. just to see how many I could get right. I did abysmally badly. I got yeah. 11 categories correct, which I think is the worst I've ever done. How do you feel about uh, Frances McDormand winning? Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, I do not mind Frances McDormand winning three Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. I think she's the first like actress to do so since Catherine Hepburn. Oh wait, no, Meryl, Meryl Streep. Sorry, because she well, Meryl Streep also won supporting. I think true. she's the first to win lead actress three times. Uh, no, Catherine Hepburn won lead actress um, three times. I mean, since Catherine. Hepburn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. But yes, then good for her. She's one of the best actresses mm-hmm. working. But you know, again, you saved both best actress and best actor for last, and these were both categories in which the front runner was Viola Davis or Chadwick Boseman, and uh, then it's both you know white actors who've won before, <laughs> and it's just it's just a bad. <laughs> way to end the ceremony it, it seemed it, a little really anticlimactic uh, it seemed a little anticlimactic yeah. but you know what uh, and, and arguably disrespectful so what are you gonna do uh, again uh anticlimax there's always something to complain about at the oscars every oh year. yeah it's, it's never been wow that was a great show let's just talk about how perfectly it went never no that's never ever, ever that. the conversation even so, the, even the ones people liked other people hate so you watch the you watch the telecast to, to and you're waiting for the fuck-ups that's all yeah. you want you're kind of waiting for and Okay, they did a little awkwardly this year. Yeah. Fine. It was a weird year. It was 2020. Mm. This is the last gasp of 2020. Yeah. Kind of... <laughs> kind of one last monster. Last <laughs> kind of exhalation yeah. of the year. Right, let's talk about some of the other winners mm. here. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya won Best mm. Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. As I have already confessed, mm. I haven't seen that one yet. I will. He's great. His, and his, his acceptance speech was really great. I heard that, yeah. He, he, wanted, he, th- he thanked his parents for having sex. I haven't heard an actor do that <laughs> since Adam Sandler won an MTV Movie Award. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, Yoon uh, Ye Jung mm. won for Best Supporting Actress for Minari. And I'm glad for that. Too. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That made me happy. Uh, Best Original Screenplay went to Emerald Fennel for Promising mm. Young Woman, a movie mm. both you and I have admired. It's Some people take a serious issue with the movie's ending. Uh, and I get it. I mm. have a different take on that, but I can't really explain why without going into spoilers. Yeah. However, I do think it's a it's a very bold film, and I do well, highly recommend it. I, I did read some of the the dissenting opinions, and uh, there are some excellent points being made in, in the world of criticism about Promising Young Woman yeah. and how it pro and con. It, it's, I feel. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. um. I, I still love the film. I still really admire it, but I do understand uh, the ambivalence toward it. I can, I can, there's a lot of people I know, myself included, mm. who, who thought it was incredibly strong, but there's a lot of people who really didn't respond well to it for reasons that range from totally awesome and excellent and I mm. totally believe you to I disagree with your interpretation of the ending, like that kind of thing. Mm. But like, whatever. It's exciting that there's a film that is interesting enough to debate yeah. won mm. the, the award, at least. Uh, let's see what we got here. Best Adapted Screenplay was The Father. Mm. Which I didn't see either. Uh, best animated feature went to Pixar because, of course, it did. And uh, Pixar also won best score. Uh, mm. And uh, that one I'm less mad about. Soul did have a really good score. It did have a really good score, yeah. and I, I, I'm not going to begrudge how great the score is. But uh, there's this uh, idea going around that Pixar or that Pixar made a film specifically about jazz. That Soul mm. is a movie about jazz. Yeah. If you. But if you recall the story of Soul, it's 
more about pizza than it's about jazz. Well, it's, not specifically not, pizza. Not specifically pizza, it's about, but it's, it's about... about the, it's about the reasons why you know. we we value life. Yeah, yeah. Life itself, and that can be big things and small things. And, and the big so. arc is about this uh, this very old soul that has, for many millennia, not find a purpose to yeah. live, and but I th- finally finds it in... Like, essentially just eating. True, but I do think it's disingenuous to suggest that mm. jazz isn't a major centerpiece because for the protagonist, mm. that was their reason to live. Oh, it's, so I think it's a fair to, th- I think oh, it's, it's fair to point it out. It's still in there, yeah. yes. Uh, let's see, best international feature went to mm. another round. Mm. That, uh, uh, a fair one. Did you see another round? I didn't see that one, no. It's, uh, I thought it, it's, it's about alcoholism, but it's comedy. Mm. Of the, I know you missed Better Days, but of the mm. four best international feature mm. nominees you saw, another round Collective, mm. the man who sold his skin, and Quo Vadis Aida. What would you have voted for? Collective. Yeah, Collective was great. Awesome. Yeah. All if, right. If if you want to be furious at the way uh, bureaucracy is slowly murdering society, then yeah, yeah. see Collective. Uh, let's see. Best documentary feature, as you said, went to My Octopus Teacher with neither of us saw. A lot of people were really mad about that one. Mm. Well, uh, it was the only one that was kind of lightweight. I guess um, yeah. the mole agent was also kind of sweet, but, but it, it was topical. A, uh, it, it was had topical. A, yeah, it had a point to yeah. it. Uh, let's see what we got here. Best documentary short subject went to Colette. And if you want to hear mm-hmm. us talk about all of the uh, Oscar-nominated short films, all 15 of them, uh, check out Critically Acclaimed mm-hmm. from like two weeks ago, maybe three. Yeah, we put out a special episode. Yeah, so if you want to hear about all of those, and I highly recommend you do because they're interesting films. Uh, Colette was a film about a woman whose brother was part of the French Resistance. She was too, but he was uh, taken as a POW to a camp and and died in World War II. Uh, and Colette won. Um, it's a very, very good short. It's very sweet. It's very touching. Um, not what I would have voted for, but I. It's hard to. It's hard to begrudge it. Mm. I think uh, "Do Not Split" had some just incredibly immediate, and a love song for Latasha was just absolutely heartbreaking. Mm. But uh, best live action short film went to the high concept time loop movie Two Distant Strangers," which was a little unexpected. I I, I thought it was going to go to. I thought it was going to go to either "Feeling Through," which is a very sentimental film, yeah. or possibly "The Letter Room" because it feels the most like a feature film, and the it, Academy loves I, that. I thought that's why I thought yeah. it was going to be that one. Yeah, I thought it was going to be one of those two. Mm. But um, "Two Distant Strangers" is a good film. Uh, let's see, uh, animated short film. If anything happens, I love you, which rubbed both of us the wrong way. <laughs> we, neither of us responded well to that, uh, but uh, it got a lot of praise. People L- loved it. A lot it. of credit critics really, really, really loved I, it, even though it's com- mawkish, emotional cheap shots. I, I'm not a fan. Again, I'm sure the intention was genuine, but the way that they handled it, I thought was just, just bad. Yeah, just bad, yeah. bad, bad. Uh, let's see. Um, Again, you can hear us talk about that in a lot of detail in the other mm-hmm. podcast. We're not going to spend too much time on original score. We already covered. Uh, best original song went to Judas and the Black Messiah. I've heard this song and it's very good. Song is quite good. Yeah, I oh. dig it. I dig it. I was kind of part of me was really pulling for Eurovision. <laughs> it's not the song I would have nominated from Eurovision because I think it's Yaya Ding Dong. Is the one oh, yeah. that, I think if Yaya Ding Dong had been nominated, it would have won. I think we can all agree on this, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, it's I I really wish the silly songs just once in a while would, would get in there like when uh, um you once you suggested when um the the first captain america film came out oh yeah the star spangled man star spangled man was like That's this kind of song. like jo- i think it's an alan mankin song too it's I like this so, kind yeah. of like jaunty little ad about how great yeah. it is to fight for the red white and blue and it's yeah. sung by captain america yeah and, it would have been a great pr- production number on the stage and everything like that and it's memorable i really thought that was a good one i was bummed when uh everything is awesome didn't win i think that i think a lot of people really like that mm-hmm. one a lot 
Uh, the fun songs are often fun, and maybe we should celebrate them once in a while. I'm not uh-huh. saying all the time, but anyway. Uh, best sound. This is the first year that they, in a, well, in many years, uh, that they combined the two sound categories. It used to be mm-hmm. best uh, sound. Sound editing and sound mixing. Yeah, sound editing and sound mixing. And those mm-hmm. were, those are, those are two different disciplines, but they decided to share the award. Uh, and, and apparently those two like branches were cool with that. I guess they mm-hmm. voted for it. Uh, but sound went to sound of metal. The Academy like is really the last like 10, 15 years has, is less inclined to pick an action movie here than most people would assume. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people assume it's going to go to something with a lot of like bullets. Like Greyhound was up for yeah. sound. Yeah, and... exactly. And great sound in that movie. I like, I like Greyhound a lot, but like Sound of Metal, you have to tell a story. I'm actually really surprised sense. Greyhound wasn't up for more awards, just mm-hmm. in terms of its uh, prestige, its pedigree. Uh... It, doesn't have a, it doesn't have a big emotional hook. Uh, I, I think that's the end. I think, it's, I think the Academy likes a big emotional hook. Uh, all right. Anyway, um, it's a good movie, though. I like mm-hmm. it. Uh, production design went to Mank, which, fine. <laughs> Whatever. It's not Production design is good. I'm not uh-huh. going to fight that. Uh, best cinematography went to Mank, which... It's actually not great cinematography. I don't think it's great cinematography. I think it's really like showy cinematography in a way that's like not actually evocative of the era, which is, I guess, fine. But if I wish it didn't imply that it was evocative of the era, which yeah. I think is a misstep. Um, I think I probably I, I haven't seen News of the World. I, I or actually I haven't seen a lot of those. I, I actually have done have a right to judge from best cinematography. Okay. I, I, I mean, if I've missed like one, I might tell you what I think I would have voted for. But mm-hmm. no, I've missed a couple of those. So. Uh, but I've Nomadland would have been very deserving. Uh, best makeup and hairstyling uh, ended up going to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is a good choice. Mm. Uh, a lot of good nominees in that category. You oh, saw I, Pinocchio, and most people didn't. I did. Uh, yeah. Just in a quest to try to see all of these nominees. Yeah, a lot uh, of people were surprised that that movie existed. And they only yeah, just there, heard about there was it an, an Italian, a new <laughs> Italian production of Pinocchio with Roberto Benigni, but completely separate from the other Pinocchio yeah. with Roberto Benigni. This time he plays Geppetto, which, yeah. fine. And the other one, he yeah. played Pinocchio, and he directed yeah. that film. That's a bad movie. Amazing, like, production and costume design on Like, it's mm. a good-looking film, but, like, the movie's terrible. Uh, if you want something that feels a little bit more, like, grungy, Terry Gilliam, like, Baron Munchausen kind of look to it, mm-hmm. where everything's really kind of busy and the creatures are all really impressive. There's a lot of animal people in the, the Pinocchio story, uh-huh. and they just put people in this really elaborate makeup. It's not CG. Mm. And it, golly, it's some really impressive creature makeup. There's That's like awesome. rabbit people. There's an eight-foot snail woman. Uh, yeah, it's it's all... Is it good? It's great. The movie, I mean. Oh, the, the movie, it's it's very peculiar. Okay. Uh, it, it's not going to have like a big punch to it, mm. but yeah, it's it's quite enjoyable. If you're uh, if you're a Tim Burton or yeah. Terry Gilliam fan going back, you'll like it. Uh, best costume design went mm-hmm. to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I'm totally okay with, but I am a little surprised by because it it takes place over one day, and usually mm-hmm. they like to celebrate like a lot of costumes. So I thought I was going to go to something like Emma or Mulan mm-hmm. or something. Should have gone to Emma, really. Yeah, probably. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, best film editing went to Sound of Metal, uh, and uh, best visual effects went to Tenet and. When you consider how Hollywood basically pulled back most of their big VFX spectaculars, like they just didn't release them this year, uh-huh. the category looks a little anemic, but it's important to remember that the Academy, once again, doesn't really like honoring just brainless VFX films. They like to, The visual effects category almost always goes to the nominee that would have been most likely to be nominated for Best Picture, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't. And this one, Tenet. And a part of me is like, 
you know, we've been reversing cinema, like we've been reversing film for a long time. <laughs> Part of me is a little like sort of underwhelmed by it, but it's done mm-hmm. very well. Like it's certainly like an effective, you know, effectively presented. It's a cool looking film. Yeah. Um, so um, those are the winners. Um, the controversies are obvious. We've already mentioned a few of them, but there's a lot to celebrate here. Um, there's a couple of films I really need to catch up on. I plan to catch up on all the nominees eventually, but mm-hmm. obviously the winners I'm going to rush out to and try to get to this week or next. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, if you want to talk more about the Academy Awards, something specific you want to discuss, uh, don't forget, you can always email us letters at critically acclaimed.net and we might read your email in a coming we've got mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, we just gonna, we're just gonna truck along and talk about some new releases. We got a couple of weeks worth of films to get to. Do you want to do last week first or this week first? Well, let's talk about the big one first. What's the big one in your mind? I think it's Mortal Kombat and some more of the box office <laughs> and stuff. Oh, I suppose so. It's the one. It's the one that like people are talking mm. about. Yada yada yada. All right. Well, Mortal Kombat mm. is. Uh, I think it's maybe the fifth or sixth Mortal Kombat feature, if you count all of the animated ones that went straight to video. There was the. There were two theatrical features: Mortal Kombat, mm. and then there was Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Yeah, those then were there was live the, action films in '95 and '97. There was a. There was like a straight to video Mortal Kombat animated thing, but it was like really just thrown together in the '90s, and mm. then there were a couple there of TV series, couple of TV series, live mm. action and animated, uh, and then there was recently. An animated, I think it was called like Scorpion's Revenge or something like that, which I heard was quite good, but I didn't right. see that one. Uh, I have seen, I have yeah. seen the two live action Mortal Kombat's, and um, eh. well, and now you've seen the third as well. Yeah. Uh, well, the, how, uh, what, are, what are your, what are, what's your history? What do you bring into Mortal Kombat? Did you play well, I mean, the game? Well, Did you watch the movies? I, I didn't play the game much. I remember when it came out. I remember what a controversy it was. The appeal of Mortal Kombat was its gore, uh, mostly yeah. back in the in. 93 or whenever it came it was, out there it was, was there was gore there were like at the time like semi-photorealistic characters yeah, they, they, they actually photographed people and they, animated those they photographed actors and used them uh, to capture in sort of the sprites and had them fight each other and there were very blo- novel there were blood effects and then yeah. things where you could like pull out people's skulls and the spine would the still be attached system. Yeah. called them fatalities yeah. and uh, the, the that first was... game didn't even play that great but Mortal Kombat 2 played really good I like yeah. Mortal Kombat it did, 2 didn't play much beyond that and I'm Completely unfamiliar with the lore. Now, <laughs> it got uh, complicated over yeah, the years. I, I lost track of it after Mortal Kombat 2. The lore behind this most recent film, uh, the 2021 Mortal Kombat feature film, is uh, every so often there's a great tournament, a great fighting tournament between the realms. And there's two realms fighting in this tournament. There's Earth Realm, which is where we live, mm-hmm. and the realm of like evil demons. Outworld. Outworld, indeed. Yeah. And uh, Outworld and and Earthrealm are going to fight, so uh, Earthrealm has to gather up its champions to mm. fight the Outworld champions who are all monstrous in some way. And it's worth noting that the stakes are really high. Outworld has won the most mm. recent nine Mortal Kombats, and if they win one more tournament, then they get to take over Earth, mm. which sounds to me like the plot of Space Jam. Like, doesn't it sound like Outworld came to Earth and then Earth was just like, ah, 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 you cannot conquer us. 
unless you, uh, I don't know, like ten, uh, ten fighting ten, tournaments ten in fighting a row. Tur- There's no way they could possibly. Okay, ten fighting <laughs> tournaments in a row. It's the, the the premise is completely absurd. And in fact, it's really <laughs> stupid. Uh, the yeah. fact that they're giving it a really sort of slick, serious treatment actually does the cheesiness of the story a bit of a disservice. I think so. Just this film roll with yeah. the silliness a little yeah. bit more. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Paul Anderson version, like the original 90s version, which mm-hmm. for a lot of people is still like the gold standard for video game movies, which I think is a little sad. <laughs> like, yeah, if, it's, if, if that's the one, then it's, yeah. It's a fun PG-13 matinee action movie. I don't, mm-hmm. I can't get too mad at it or anything like that, but there's only like, two really good like kung fu fights in that movie uh-huh. especially the one with the uh, uh johnny cage and scorpion like that one's aces i got no complaints so they, they like fall into a they fall into hell essentially yeah. and they do they do their fight yeah. in but hell like, but like they're actually the fighters are actually doing a really good job it's well choreographed like that one works um and i think goro was a fun like puppet he's yeah, just a cool looking not, thing not wholly convincing but it didn't need yeah. to be it was just nice to look at yeah but like it's really thin there's not a lot to it really some of the some of the dialogue and storyline elements are really laughable but like it's fun to watch mm. world Combat annihilation is just the it's i actually remember i don't know how true this is that it's literally a work print that they just said screw it it's <laughs> it looks like it yeah it like they really didn't cheap. even like all the cg looks unfinished because it was and then the studio was like it's fine just release it um it's not not that i think it could have been improved much it's just a mess it's like the worst kind of like video game like storytelling mm-hmm. where it's just basically like here's a mechanic from the game and we're gonna explain it and make it sound like it's a big deal you gotta find your animality Liu kang and Liu kang's like isn't that stupid yes <laughs> um they're uh it's pretty they, it's pretty it's they, almost it's really hard to watch that they, they do fault uh fold in some of the uh video game lingo into this new one as well uh oh, there's yeah. a character named kano and he beats up this this lizard monster and actually says out loud in dialogue kano wins <laughs> like like he's the announcer yeah. in the video game no, uh later on bad. somebody says flawless victory out of nowhere because it's I, I always i always find that really yeah. you have to really really earn that shit and they just they yeah. just throw it in but anyway but, my point but, is the, my point is the paul anderson film was light yeah, it was like it probably could have stood to be like more violent, like more combat-y, But I think the overall tone of it was we're gonna, this is going to be a little arch because the game is a little arch. Mm. In the new Mortal Kombat, everything is taken really seriously. Mm-hmm. Like it's it starts I mean, with this tragic prologue where yeah. one of the, we get to see one of the characters' backstory from long ago. Yeah. Sub Zero kills Scorpion's family, yeah, and, and yeah, Sub Zero Sub Zero uh, is. Like he he is a human shaped fighter, but he's treated like this demon. Like he's yeah. the most powerful being in the universe. He's a ninja with he ice has, powers. Yeah, he has he has freezing powers, and he can just freeze your whole village just by thinking about it. He forms ice swords out of nothing, and yeah. they don't break. It's cool, except when they do. Like yeah. there's this early sure. bit where like, he's trying to kill a guy, and like he makes it snow, and then he takes all the snow and he turns it into ice daggers, yeah. and then he throws it up against stuff, and it just collapses like snow. And I'm like. I know the mo- I know if the guy dies, the movie's <laughs> over. But you couldn't come up with something better than just Sub Zero decided not to be good today. Like Sub Zero made a fort. You know, it's uh, favorite... so yeah. There's there's a prologue, yeah. and then we cut to um, Johnny Cage. Uh, no. no, he's not Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage isn't in this movie. I thought he changed his name to Johnny Cage at the end. No, no, you got confused there. There was a poster for a Johnny Cage movie implying that Johnny Cage would show up in the next one. Oh, I thought he was going to Hollywood and was going to change his name. No, to Johnny he Cage. was going to. I think he was supposed to be going to Hollywood to meet Johnny Cage. Oh, wow. 
Okay. I see. I see where you got that from, but no. That's okay, so it. the the protagonist guy, <laughs> his name is Cole something. Cole something. It's a character I'm not super familiar with. Uh, yeah, he, he from, gets from the video games anyway. I know him from the movie. Obviously. He gets uh, swept up with uh, Kano and Sonya when uh, the evil uh, villains from another dimension come mm-hmm. to Earth to kill all of Earth's champions. Yeah. Uh, That's basically it. And basically, we don't actually get to the Mortal Kombat fighting tournament here. The idea is the fighting tournament is coming up, and Mm -hmm. Shang Tsung decides to ask all of his various monsters, like, hey. He's the leader leader of the monsters. What if instead of fighting, what if we just killed them all before the fight, Mm -hmm. and then we win by default? The two greatest words in the English language. Default. And uh, everyone's like, cool, we can make a whole movie out of that, and then we can set up the next one for the for the right. fighting so, tournament. So that's what they do. So the, the good guys gather, they start to train, then they're interrupted, and that's the movie. Pretty much. That's it. Yeah. The, there's and Oh, and then uh, Sub-Zero and, and Scorpion reunite for the big yeah. climax. I, I like... Which has nothing to do with the characters we had been following. No, not really. It's like a bookend to well, this act. the idea is that the character of Cole, played by Louis Tan, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, a descendant of Scorpion. This is not a twist. It's right at the beginning of the movie. Uh, like seriously, scene number two. Uh, he's a descendant of Scorpion, and he might be the one who was like prophesied to win Mortal Kombat or whatever. But beyond that, yeah, basically Scorpion and Sub Zero. It's not even a spoiler. You see it in all the trailers. Like they'll fight, uh-huh. and it's a pretty cool fight. Like I got nothing against it. The thing that I can't get over about the whole Scorpion Sub Zero thing here mm. is uh, at the beginning of the movie, Scorpion's with his family and his like his kids are there and his wife is gardening and then when he has to like fight everyone off and he puts together his like signature weapon the uh dagger on a chain that he can like yeah, fling at like, you yeah, and then like pull up, you closer like, to him uh, yeah it's up his sleeve and yeah him. it's in the in the, like, in the original movie they made it like a weird snake monster yeah he's, he's a supernatural being in the yeah. original and this one he's a guy who somehow comes back from hell yeah he brings the fires of hell with yeah. him like kind of ghost rider style but like but they explain that in, like a line of dialogue yeah. it's just not like his journey yeah <laughs> Uh, but uh, my I, my favorite thing about this new movie is that dagger. We find out that dagger has an origin. Mm. It's a garden trowel. Yep. <laughs> Scorpion's thing this whole time has been a garden trowel. And the history of this garden trowel is like kind of important. And if you had asked me at the beginning of the year, hey, which 2021 film is about the intergenerational history of a garden trowel? I would have assumed it was something by like Kelly Reichardt or like... <laughs> You know, something like something kind of thoughtful and intimate. And then it's like, no, it's Mortal Kombat, dude. And I'm like, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, there's really not a lot to this movie. I like mm. some of, I, I don't know how new any of these things are. And I hear the movie took some liberties with like the current Mortal Kombat mythology, which I just don't follow. Um, I, I did I'm, like, <laughs> I don't care about it. Yeah, really. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm sure nothing too sacred as being violated. I'm sure not, but I just don't know. There's a couple of things. Like I did like that in the original Mortal Kombat movie, uh, the human heroes had no supernatural powers. And I kind of like that once you're chosen for Mortal Kombat, Mm. you have supernatural powers, which I kind of thought was like, okay, that's fair. Uh That way you have a real world, but you also get the heroes who can do the cool stuff you see in the video game. And I'm fine with that. That, Mm. I thought that was a pretty fair way to do it. Um, Some of the powers that they get are stupid. Like, uh, 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 Jax. Jax is a fun character. He's, you know, he's a big, tough, cool guy, and everyone likes him, and he's got metal arms. And at the beginning of the movie, his arms are, like, ripped off. Mm. And then he gets, like, not very good cyborg arms. And there's a part in the movie, I was watching this with my wife and partner, Michelle, and there's part of the movie where I'm like, oh my god, what if, what if Jax's, like, supernatural power is better robot arms? 
And then that's uh, what happened. And, sure and I enough, laughed my butt off. You're telling me that like the inner like awesome magic power within your soul was was always going to manifest as robot arms? He had arms before yesterday. What was it going to do? Rip them mm-hmm. off? Like it just couldn't quite like, buy it. Um, a lot of people are talking about that their favorite character in the film was uh, Josh Lawson as Kano, uh, who is this? Um, who is au- clearly auditioning to play Wolverine? Yeah. Um, not a fan. I actually no, think uh, he's he's trying so hard to be this like, and again, he's he's kind of a villain. He, pl- he plays this really abrasive character yeah. who doesn't want to go along with any of this. Yeah. He's he's ostensibly the voice of hum- humanity and reason in this story. Yeah, but he's also a killer and like a mm. bad guy, and he's sexist and like and, and he get he, and he gains super like he's scratched in the eye by a magical lizard monster, mm-hmm. and that's l- how he gets a laser. Yeah, and, and later later on in the movie, we learn that the scratch when he gets really angry gives him a laser eye. Yeah. Whatever, I'm not... That's this movie not is problem. the stupidest shit, all right? I, I'm not going to complain about that. My only problem with Kano is this. Um, there's, like, villains or, like, anti-heroes you love yeah. to hate. I didn't love to hate him. I just hated him. I just mm. didn't want to be around him. I found him annoying. My favorite character in this whole fucking movie mm. uh, was actually Cabal. Was he the, the robot? Yeah, he's the guy, like this, the guy in the robot mask. There's a guy, We eventually we see, like, Shang Tsung and his, like, minions. And one of them is a guy with hook swords. Uh, he, he, the, uh, actors, Daniel Nelson, but the, uh, the, the physical actor is Daniel Nelson, but the voice actor is, uh, Damon Harriman. And that guy had the energy I wanted from Kano. That <laughs> guy had the Han Solo energy mm. where like, you're watching this movie and everyone's like totally dead serious about it. And you now here's a guy who's totally immersed in the world, but also he's kind of over it. Mm. So he's just like, yeah, I'm fighting you. It's all a thing. And like, <laughs> that guy's about to get his soul sucked out of his body. It's a thing that happens. Like, I was with that guy. Like, yeah. Cabal made my day. Like, Cabal made me happy here. But, man, the rest of it's just... It's just as immature yeah. as the original film. But Some of the fights are better, but not all of them. And I just... It ended up being more laughable because yeah, yeah. it was trying to be so serious. I do appreciate that they put in some fun gore this yeah. time. Like, this is this is R-rated. You get to see people beheaded and a pieces of their bodies get yeah, uh, yeah people get their heads mashed there's somebody gets sawed in half it's really wonderfully disgusting mm. all uh, in a way that can be edited down for television later yeah unfortunately yes <laughs> it's all very, like a there's couple a, of distinct bits the cgi blood is particularly bad mm. uh cgi blood never looks good it never still has. doesn't here yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole, the whole idea of a Mortal Kombat, I mean, Mortal Kombat's taking all of its cues from movies like Enter the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Any Enter fight the Dragon, Master of the Flying Guillotine. Bloodsport, yeah. any, any fight movie where yeah. fighters from all over the world come together. Some of them have a gimmick or a magic power mm-hmm. and they're going to fight in a ring and whatever they win, they win. It's such a great premise and, uh, for a movie and it amazes me how few fight movies actually do it. Well, and that's, it's such a simple thing that they just sort of lifted it to put into the game. It's like, okay, we're going to use this flimsy premise to put into our game just so we have an excuse to fight. Mm-hmm. So now we're going back, making a copy of a copy, make, putting that tournament idea back into the film. But the mythology in the games has become so elaborate that I feel like they're, they're not, they don't feel comfortable just telling you that story any longer or it's too simple or maybe people would predict it if they just go with a simple fighting tournament so we got something like this instead where there isn't really a story people just sort of gather and get together and fight and if you're gonna just do that have some fun with it yeah make it brisk make it light make Mm -hmm. it 
gory I want, fun. I want the fights in the movie to be phenomenal. Yeah. And there's like two that are really good. And I know a lot of the people who are in the movie are actually like trained fighters. Like they got them specifically so that the fights would look good. But I ultimately just feel like they're, the editing is too fast. Like it's mm. just you're not really showing off yeah. the fighting the way that you could. And I actually think like the best version of this movie is the first trailer they release because they put all the best fight stuff in there. <laughs> and then all like this sort all of eh, really yeah, all these sort of eh fight stuff is like, and it's fine. It's competent. But like I don't want competent. Mm. I want the back of my head blown out by how amazing your kung fu is i want seriously want to see the best i think there's no excuse if you're making a street fighter movie or a mortal Kombat movie mm. there is no excuse for this not to be the best martial arts films on the market i will forgive everything else if the fight scenes are absolutely unbelievably amazing and there's a couple of cool bits but no that's it that's all mm. i ask for it's ultimately just a competent Americanized action fight movie. Yeah. And that's not enough for me. And uh, mm -hmm. so ultimately I don't hate this, but I also just didn't really like it. So mm. I was, at first I was kind of just riding on mediocrity, but ultimately the more I think about it, the more I'm just not into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I neither. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's I love not, it's, movies. so yeah, it, it, if you're just going to do fights, do more better fights and skip all of that exposition stuff because this movie's like 110 minutes. It doesn't need to be. Get in and out of 80. If it's going to be 110 minutes, but you better have better fights than this. Come yeah. on, man. Make them, make like, them sing. Pack them in there. Yeah. That's all. I, yeah. Anyway. Uh, moving on. Let me talk about something that you saw last week. Okay. What did you, what did you see last week that you liked? Um, well, let's see. Um. Why don't we just go uh, complete 180 and talk about the movie Hope? Okie dokie do. Uh, Hope is a Norwegian film. Uh, mm. This It was uh, submitted to the Academy uh, by Norway for uh, Best International Feature, but it wasn't nominated. Mm. Only five. And uh, it is about a, a married couple. Uh, she is much younger than he is. He is uh, on his second marriage. She's on her, her first. And... Uh, right around Christmas time, just as everything is getting really, really busy in their lives, and he has a big thing going on in his life, and she has big things going on in her life, she gets a cancer diagnosis. Ugh. And it's actually a very aggressive kind of cancer. And they say that uh, experts in this kind of cancer are very rare. You're going to need an operation real, real soon. And the chances of you not getting cancer again, even after really good surgery is really, really high. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, the there's no, there's not a lot of hope here. Uh, yeah. And so this movie just sort of takes us through step-by-step step, her emotional process in trying to cope with this idea that she's facing her own mortality, yeah. that uh, maybe there is some hope here, but how tempting it is to not have any. And, of course, it's changing the relationship with all the people around her, and most notably her husband, who's played by Stellan Skarsgård. And how she starts accusing him of sort of changing her life for the worse, how uh. she feels about her kids, how she might not have the most rosy view of her own kids, given the circumstances, or but also how they're really kind of the most important things in her life. This sounds, this is, this sounds harrowing to me. It, it's it's harrowing and it just sort of what I appreciate about Hope, though, is that it's not one of those uh, like miserablest dramas mm. where it's just going to focus on how horrible everything feels all the time. 
it, it's not about uh, using coping mechanisms. It's not about the psychology. It's just about the process and about her story and her drama. And the acting is so good and mm. the frankness is so uh, striking and welcome mm. that it becomes a very engaging drama. Hmm. And it takes us through all of the highs and the lows, how some days are really, really good, how little tiny things can ruin a day. Uh, this is around Christmas time. She wants to have Christmas with her family because she knows right away. She mm. just learned a few days ago, mm. this might be her last Christmas. Right. And when she learns that like weeks ago, her husband invited some like one of his work buddies to work to this Christmas party. She, this uh. like throws everything out, you know, into perspective. It's like, no, this was going to be my last Christmas. We can't just have a buddy come by. Everything's ruined now. Yeah. And that, you know, starts weighing on her a lot. And, and of course, a part of this process is, of course, going to the hospitals, talking to the experts and hearing time and time again, you don't have a very good chance here. Yeah. And her needing to come to terms with the fact that maybe she does. And at the end of the movie, we do realize that it's a very natural, very human instinct to continue to hope. Uh, whether, you know, no matter how many times the experts tell you there's mm. not much of a chance in this, she still needs to find her bliss in looking up. Mm. And I think that's the ultimate point of the movie. Uh, whether or not, whether she lives or dies, whether or not she goes through the process or not, I'll leave for you to discover. But that she is able to find this emotional journey that ends up working for her is ultimately the the... The, the ultimate point of it all. This sounds like um, a movie that would absolutely annihilate me. <laughs> yeah, it it's, really it, hits a lot of my buttons. It's like, really, it's really, really rough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, uh, this um, one just the lead actress is really uh, close to home. Uh, Andrea. I'm gonna uh, murder this. Andrea Brian Hovig, uh, okay. Norwegian actress. I haven't seen her in anything before, but hmm. she is fantastic in this movie, hmm. and uh, yeah, gives a lot of realism to this. Uh, otherwise. I've I've seen cancer dramas before that are kind of hokey or a little bit melodramatic. Uh, this doesn't go for any of that, but nor, like I said, it's not really miserablest either. It just sort of gives us a very down to earth view of a lot of these things. Hmm. All right, I really really liked it. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, again, sounds bleak, but it sounds good um, to me. Uh, let's see what do we got. Okay, uh, let me talk about the new film together. Together. All right, if you'll let me. You may. may. I? Okay, great. You, I'll allow it. You Thank may. you. Uh, this is a new film from writer-director Nicole Beckwith, and mm. it stars uh, Patty Harrison uh, from the show uh, Shrill, which I haven't seen. Mm. Uh, she plays a young woman who agrees to be the surrogate mother for mm. Ed Helms. Okay. Uh, he doesn't have a wife or partner. He's oh. in. He's middle-aged, and he really wants a child, and it doesn't look that's likely to happen uh, in, in the typical way. Uh, so he decides he's going to do this himself mm. and he ends up uh uh selecting patty harrison's character to be his surrogate and this is an unusual situation uh she isn't like many surrogate mothers uh at least that's according to the film uh someone who is already in a relationship mm. or is raising children of her own uh she is young and she is doing this for the money mm. she she's trying to get a new start and so is Ed Helms, in a way. And they find themselves thrust together repeatedly. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting because this is a very, very much a movie about friendship. Mm. Uh, it, it, it stays platonic, which I am incredibly grateful for. 
Uh, not the least of which because the age differences would make it super creepy, but mm. um, also because it would be really cliched and kind of obvious and feel like mm. sort of a Chris Columbus 90s movie kind of thing. And yeah. it's not really about that. Okay. Um, this is about two platonic people who are finding themselves getting closer together in a really intense emotional and, mm. you know, it's physical. She's her body is going through pregnancy uh, relationship, but it's also transactional. Yeah, and that yeah, yeah. is getting in the way. And that is something that ultimately potentially taints any connection they might have. Hmm. Because when all is said and done, she's not going to stick around and raise this kid. Yeah, She's going to go. I'm, and I'm, he's I'm, only paying her to do that. You're, I'm, I'm getting a lot of Juno flashbacks it, it would be a good double feature with Juno, I think. Hmm. I think Juno is more... Um, affected mm-hmm. in the terms of like it's like very particular comedic tone and it's very uh uh whimsical dialogue mm-hmm. Diablo Cody has a very particular uh dialogue pattern that she used in Juno this is actually a lot more laconic than I was expecting and I Ooh, actually okay. really like this version of Ed Helms mm-hmm. uh, Ed Helms I think is a very funny actor who typically finds himself in very unfunny films I think the broader it is the worse it is for him mm-hmm. and that seeing him in something that's really grounded like this is actually really refreshing because I think he's really nailing it here. Patty okay. Harrison is someone I really want to keep an eye on. I think she's absolutely stunning in this movie. Nice. Um, I don't want to, uh, it's such a simple movie. I don't want to reveal too much about it. I do think though that the ending is interesting, like the very ending. And mm. I've talked to a couple of different people about it. And some people took away something just incredibly positive from it. But for me, based on certain like blocking choices in the last shot, followed by, the credits and i don't want to go into much, too much more detail than that um i actually thought that nicole beckwith ultimately kind of reframed the story a little bit from kind of like a charming but complicated friendship saga to something a little bit more cynical and and hmm. and, uh, and biting uh, i thought that makes it really interesting i was gonna say in a, in a good way or a bad I think way? In a good okay. way i think in a way that makes it really interesting mm-hmm. and actually makes it more fascinating to me and it made me like the movie more i thought the movie was good but maybe not remarkably so other than the, the acting is really solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that ending and the way I interpreted it, and I haven't met a lot of people who have my interpretation of it, although I think it stands. Uh, my interpretation of that ending, I think, really brought it out. Okay. Uh, and I thought made it a lot more interesting than it initially was. Okay. Uh, but it is good. I do like this, and I do recommend this. I think that, if nothing else, uh, Helms and Harrison are really, really wonderful together, and you should see them together. because that, that part's great. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got. That sounds interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah, like a, a, a laconic, cynical version of Juno. Yeah, a little bit. Like, it, there's actually like an interesting uh, scene in the movie where they talk about uh, Woody Allen, and they talk okay. about um, how um, uh, how those are stories about older men and younger women, and how right. every single one of those is basically this vampiric story about how older men are like leeching off of the youth and vitality of younger women and how this, these characters don't want to do that. Even though ironically, literally that's what's happening. He is asking Mm. her to carry a child to term and then give it to him and then leave. Mm. So I think it's interesting. Which is the thing. Surrogate. Oh, true. Yeah. I I don't mean, I don't mean to make that sound like a bad situation. Everyone Mm. agrees to it and that that should be healthy and that should be fine. But like, um, my point is that it's exploring that, and I don't think it's entirely mm-hmm. like cute and positive about mm-hmm. it. I actually do think they understand that this is mm-hmm. something that is, you know, not. Mm-hmm. It's not just a friendship, is it? There's there's yeah. something on top of that that will 
affect every single element of their interaction. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's smart. I think it's interesting, and okay. I really liked it. So all right, moving on. What do you got next? Uh, how about Monday? Uh, oh God, must we? What about Tuesday? <laughs> Aren't you cute? I try. Uh, Monday is a, a sort of a, a doomed romance film from a Greek director named Giras Papadimetropoulos, mm. and uh, it stars Sebastian Stan, uh, who is sort of a layabout uh, DJ uh, living in Greece, and cool. uh, an American tourist played by Denise Goff. She's an Irish actress, mm. and they uh, is he playing a Greek character? No, he's also okay. American. Okay, just saying. And uh, they're literally pushed together on a dance floor by a friend one evening saying, hey, you guys should make out. And lo, they start and they end up getting very, very drunk on a Friday night. They wake up on the beach the next morning, having you know experienced the throes of ecstasy. And she decides to not go back home at first to stay in Greece for uh, a few more days and see if she can continue, like extend this fling a little bit and see how mm. that makes her feel. And as the i feel like they have a lot of good physical chemistry i feel mm. like they uh do have they've captured something really really exciting about first meeting somebody and first going into that um not necessarily romance it's actually much more sexual than that but that kind of sexual mm. excitement and the the excitement of starting up a relationship yeah, and that initial this, connection yeah. yeah and the film explores how they try to turn that friday night into Forever, but of course, inevitably, hence the title, Monday comes. And they have to just start their real lives and how difficult that is for them. He mm. has a lot of layabout friends who are sort of keeping him from uh, getting any kind of real job or uh, st- stopping the party when it needs to stop. Meanwhile, uh, she's trying to go through the motions of settling down and figuring out what it means to settle down because she really doesn't really have a definition of that yet. Mm. Things like uh, she's really attached to a certain piece of furniture, a couch of hers. And uh, when they can't move it into the apartment, she kind of starts to see this as a symbol of some kind of great failing in their relationship. Mm. Uh, And of course, you know early on that this thing is just doomed to fail, that their relationship isn't going to end very well. Uh, There's a little too much uh, rising and falling action where we get to see them party, 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 and then fall back down again and sort of get back... uh, back to real life and realize that they're really unhappy. And then they party, party, party again. And that happens three or four times throughout the course of the movie. They could have cut maybe two of those cycles. It gets kind of repetitive after a while. It's a pretty long movie, Uh, but I did like it. I did like the, the excitement of the relationship and sort of this exploration of uh, the notion of sort of like the, the vacation fling. And if that can be translated into an actual relationship, I've seen that notion in sitcoms before. It was the yeah. plot of an episode of Emily's Reasons Why Not. Mm. If you recall the Heather Graham sitcom. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. she met a guy on vacation and yeah. it was great. And she it was basically even talked about how Stella got her groove back. Mm. And then she came home and the dude came home with her. Mm. And it was like, got no. really awkward. Yeah, you're like, supposed to be the vacation boyfriend. I'm yeah. not supposed to have you here. We're supposed to have two mm. nice days and then mm. bye. Yeah, and th- yeah. this is about two people who actually like give it a real try, and mm. this explores it in a, a much more adult fashion. And yeah, oh, I think there's good. some uh, actual like good moments of adult emotional uh, complexity where yeah. uh, they realize just how incompatible they are. Um, I, I like how Sebastian Stan is evolving as an actor. 
he he's getting there. I like her a lot more. I mm. think she gave like a really good performance in this. Sebastian Stan, her Denise Goff again. Uh, Sebastian Stan is almost there as an actor. <laughs> Uh, he, he was in the he was Ouch. in the he was in the Marvel movies. He played yeah. the snowman and uh, the Winter Soldier. Winter, whatever. You know I, it. I, I know it. I just don't care. And uh, it's fine. You can still get it right. He, he plays he plays a man with robot arm who is <laughs> Captain America's ex boyfriend. And uh, he's he doesn't have a lot to do in those movies. He's like uh, the, he's like the he's TV a, series he did. I didn't see the TV. Series. The TV so. series he had more to do. All right. He was he got to expand himself as a character. But, okay. It, my point is he was in. Well, like five of these movies and he didn't yeah. really have much to work with because he's just one of like a thousand characters. Well, he was brainwashed for most of the exactly, yeah, so exactly. Like, yeah. So here he's like finally playing this sort of like hunky guy who's sort of empty on the inside and I think that's at least a good character mm. for him. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, uh, okay, so you saw two more and I saw one more that were mm. new so why don't you take one more? Uh, oh, okay. what, what, um, what do you want to talk about next? Uh, let me talk about Jacob's wife. Please do. Uh, Jacob's Wife, directed by Travis Stevens, is a vampire movie starring, get this, Barbara Crampton. Yay! Uh, who horror fans know from films like From Beyond and The Reanimator, or just Reanimator, and Larry Fessenden, who is a big horror luminary who supports a lot of independent horror filmmakers and is a filmmaker in his own right. Yeah. Uh, they play a married couple. Uh, he's the local preacher. She uh, is Jacob's wife. And their marriage is at an impasse. Uh, she uh, is not really happy with him. Their marriage is very chaste. Uh, he's been sort of like giving her the stink eye over just decisions she makes to go out and have lunch with friends because he's getting really, really jealous. And she feels kind of stymied by all this. She goes out to meet an old friend who flirts with her and then they kiss in a warehouse, in a secret warehouse. And wouldn't you know it, a Nosferatu attacks her. Ah, <laughs> kills him, bites her, and um, she Sounds starts like a Sunday school and, story, and she starts thirsting, doesn't she? Yeah, uh, in more ways than one, you see, and mm. and good golly, and you know, of course, being the preacher's wife and also a vampire puts their relationship in a little bit more of a strain. I would imagine and, it would, and uh, he does eventually find out uh, that she's a vampire, but doesn't attack her; just tries to figure out what their what this means for their marriage. Mm. Uh, Barbara Crampton is bloody amazing. She always has. She been. always has been amazing. Here she is, just you know, ripping heads off and taking her clothes off, just being the the B movie horror queen that she's always had a reputation as, but uh, is now just sort of pouring so much more into it. She has so much uh, energy and joy for this kind of material. It's just a pleasure to see her on screen again. Also acting opposite Larry Fessenden, yeah. who also has a passion for this kind of material. So they're taking this stuff kind of seriously. They're they're looking at it as a character piece. Well, the but metaphor also, is strong. It's yeah. uh, you know your your marriage is on the rocks. You are people different have, people now. People, yeah, and and you, and people yeah. have needs. Yeah, and yeah. those needs might supersede the confines of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, may also supersede the confines of your conventional morality. You know, it could be, I mean, I haven't seen the movie. It sounds really good. I wanted to, but um, could be seen as mm-hmm. uh, the idea of having an open relationship in your later years, for example, or mm-hmm. swinging, yeah, there if you, you will, you know, like that's yeah, all, all, all of, all of that is in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, and it's, it's nice to see that 
I think the two lead actors are the ones who are really giving this all, all of its life because mm-hmm. they are both genre veterans. Mm-hmm. They understand what this genre demands of them, but they're also not going to abandon all the important character work and the relationship that they're getting into. Right. Uh, so it's, it, it's just a delight. If you're a horror fan, it's a delight. This is on shutter. If you're on shutter, you know what you're looking at. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really, really wonderful. Uh, the Nosferatu is played by an actress named Bonnie Ahrens, who played the nun in The Nun. Oh! Yeah. She, she uh, has played a, a couple monsters. Uh, the nun showed up in, like, I think all of the Conjuring movies, didn't, didn't... Uh, not... No, um, yeah, I think it's implied in the first one, like, a little bit, mm. but yeah. Conjuring 2, the nun The Conjuring role, 2, yeah. then obviously the nun. And, but then and I, the nun. And like, the Annabelle movies, yeah. it wasn't important. The nun is awful, by the way. Uh, oh, it's, the nun it's, sucks. It's, it's a terrible movie. Yeah, good-looking film. I actually like the, I like the, <laughs> the, the aesthetic of the nun, but, like, the movie itself is really really bad yeah like it doesn't make any sense no and all this haunting stuff all. has no rules yeah. uh but is this on is this is this is on shutter i'm not seeing it here it's produced by shutter oh, it's, it's produced actually by, yeah so it's it'll actually, be on there eventually it'll be on like it that. will okay. be on shutter okay yeah. cool just just wanted mm. to clarify in case someone was like heading over no, it sounds great i really wanted to see it, it. it's like when you when you uh back in the vhs days you picked a horror film off and you saw it was produced by fangoria magazine it's like yeah. okay yeah i'm in good hands okay it might suck but i know i'm gonna get a lot of like interesting gore and fun monster stuff this is a a, a, a film that understands what a horror fan is looking for and i i can i can appreciate a certain matter of being uh pandered to all right, moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the documentary Sisters with Transistors uh, from director Lisa Rovner. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a documentary about the history of electronic music, specifically through the female pioneers of the form, uh, who have been largely apparently undiscussed, and yet were very much responsible for transforming electronic music into what we know of today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know a lot about electronic music going into this. I knew what I liked. Uh-huh. I knew uh, I knew John Carpenter had worked with electronic music a lot. I knew electronic music often makes you want to jump up and dance. But what I hadn't <laughs> actually seriously considered, and I, what I love about this movie is hmm. the way that this movie frames the creation of electronic mm-hmm. music as a unique creation of the 20th century, not just because of the technology, mm-hmm. but because of what the technology could be used to express. And as computers and other various electronic technologies were used to create electronic sounds, the first inclination was not just to do normal music. Yeah. In fact, the first inclination was to do some very experimental and fascinating soundscapes. And, some of the women who were interviewed in Sisters with Transistors, and actually there's almost no new footage in this. It's almost all archival. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of it from like the 40s and the 50s. Mm. Um, they're talking about how the, they would hear the technological world mm. and they would hear within the technology that they heard the ways that in which electronics were communicating, but they didn't have a framework to express that until electronic music existed. Like, Hmm. For example, uh, women who were growing up in London during the Blitz and there were air raid sirens. Okay. That was a formative sound yeah. when they were growing up. An okay. air raid siren. Yeah. So this this ele- electric squawk was something that actually had a lot of sonic depth to them. And like a lot of early electronic music was trying to 
elaborate on that or find within that something fascinating. And there's a lot of stuff in there that people will go like, oh, okay. Like uh, there's this talk about the creation of uh, the original score for Forbidden Planet, which was the first film to have an entirely electronic score. Mm. Uh, there's a fascinating uh, a bit about um, a woman who uh, turned electronic music into Bach. Like we're going to mm. do Bach, but with electronica and how on one hand that brought electronic music into the mainstream and brought it a new level of appreciation. On the other hand, it was also kind of reductive about electronic music because it basically said it's, it's what we can do to do classical music different. Now it's supposed to do its own thing. Mm. It was a really cool bit about how there was a lot of resistance to electronic music and how uh, this one woman who, Oh God, I want to make sure I get her name right. Um, mm. Basically, she wanted to uh, experiment a lot with uh, various electronic forms of music, but there wasn't a lot of interest in something that was so new and so daring uh, in, for example, film. Mm -hmm. However, commercials were always eager to be new and trendy. Yeah. So yeah. she ended up like doing tons of commercials, like so many commercials you wouldn't believe with entirely different, like all the, like this, the digital sound effects you would hear in commercials in like the seventies and eighties uh, were from uh, Susan Chiani, who would end up being the first woman to do, to uh, do an entire score for a theatrically released Hollywood motion picture by herself. Okay. Uh, when it was the incredible shrinking woman. Oh God, that's a terrible movie. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone yeah. blamed her score for it. Oh, well, Unfortunately, no. probably because it tanked, it would be like another ten years before there was another one. And I oh, think it was bad. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, but I'm not sure. <laughs> like it was a while. Okay. Um. So that's that's a fascinating bit of history, and it's really illuminating. Honestly, like I, that's all it can really be. This is a documentary mm. that exists to illuminate. Mm. This is not a documentary that tells like a story with a distinct beginning, middle, and end. This isn't a, uh, a story that is trying to make you ask serious questions. No, it's giving you the answers. Here is what we were missing. Here is okay. the history of this medium, specifically through people who are often sidelined through history. And I thought it was really great. I highly recommend this documentary. I, I learned a lot. Um, you know, it's not going to be like full of like tub thumping beats or whatever like that. If you're looking for like a music documentary, mm -hmm. this is a documentary about sound. It's a documentary about soundscapes. And this is a documentary about women on the cutting edge of art and technology where they started to intersect in a brand new way. Nice. And that's really exciting. So yeah. I highly recommend it. I hope people check it out. And then our last yeah. new release is Honeydew. Honeydew. Um, Honeydew is uh, also a horror film. Uh, this one is a lot more uh, bizarre and stylized than something like Jacob's Wife. This is about a young couple uh, they're in their 20s. She's working on a college thesis about a mysterious fungus that has been lurking in the area. Among like, us. Pardon? So it's among us. It, it's, a, it's among this small community. Uh, it's it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre setup. They go, okay. out and, they go out into a rural area. There's some mysterious goings on to imply that the people who live out there might not be well. And it might be because of this fungus that, that has among them. that has gotten into the wheat, which in turn has gotten into the cows, which in turn has gotten into the people and is affecting their brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, come upon the cabin of a very kind young lady, uh, kind old lady, uh, who is uh, maybe a little too kind, offers, come, welcomes them in, offers them food. There's a weird dude there with big bandages all over his face and seems to be half mad and can only watch Popeye cartoons. 
uh, yeah, it's a cannibalism movie, and it turns yeah. out they're being primed for cannibalism, and there's a okay. lot of really bizarre electronic music, but it's in this whimsical sort of way. It feels like uh, a little bit more like Motel Hell. Oh, okay. uh, that's that's than than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If you haven't seen Motel Hell, do mm. it's really fun. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very like knowing, winking, cheesy, weird mm. cannibalism movie with some really striking imagery in it. I like yeah, that movie a lot. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's a so, so it's, it's a modern Motel Hell. I'm down. Mo- modern Motel Hell. It's a little it's a little silly and it has a lot of really uh, like completely sick twisted stuff in it and uh wouldn't you know it lena dunham is in this movie uh in in a role that might surprise you (laughs) and that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) well in any Um, case it's it might be a little predictable but at least it has its weirdness and its style going for it it sags a lot in the middle as people are just sort of wandering around this mysterious space looking for mysterious things and we're just waiting for waiting for the secret to be revealed, which you've already figured out. But I think once it's revealed, it's gross and weird enough that if if you're a sicko like me, then you can actually have a little bit of a good time with it. It's not great, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed how, how gross this, this sometimes personality is all it takes. Yeah. You know, this has been done before. Great. But I haven't told it before and I have a way of telling it. And hopefully that makes it worthwhile. And it sounds like it is. All right. uh, So uh, let's do our review roundup. Uh, we review our films that critically acclaimed on the scale of C minus to C plus, where C is average, a little bit of good, a little mm. bit of bad. Most movies are a C. C minus is below average. Generally mm. speaking, we don't care for it. Sometimes we even hate it, but it's basically anything that's not good. Yeah. And then C, C plus is above average. Yep. Anything above average, anything that's like genuinely recommended might even be the greatest film of all time. Anything in that zone. Is a C plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Whitney, on the scale of C minus to C plus, where do you put a honeydew? Mm. Honeydew is a it's a C. Okay, w- workable tales from the crypt kind of episode. Okay, yeah. Yeah. well done indeed. Uh, Sisters with transistors. I'm going to give a C plus. Um, not like you know, like oh my god, it's the best mm-hmm. movie ever made. C plus, but I, I it was really valuable, and I'm glad I learned something. And um, yeah, I that, that was a really interesting documentary. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend that. Uh, Jacob's wife, uh, C plus. I enjoyed mm. Jacob's wife. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Monday, Monday. Um, a C. Okay, a C. It it like I said, it does it does drag. It doesn't need to be as long as it was, but I appreciate some mm. of the things it was it was getting at. All right, uh, together, together. Uh, I'm giving a C plus again. Not the highest recommended C plus I've ever given, but it's as a character piece. It's really good. The cast is very, very excellent. It's sharply written, and in the end, I think it had a little bit more on its mind than uh, I think even it was obvious at the get-go. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think it's an excellent motion picture. I hope you check it out. Right. Uh, Hope. Hope, C+. Mm. Yeah, I really recommend this one. It's it's uh, r- really raw. It feels really honest. Mm. And then uh, Mortal Kombat. A Mortal Kombat. Uh, C-. minus. You, you don't need to see Mortal Kombat. It's, it's slick. It's got good gore. Some okay fights, mm-hmm. not a good movie. It's I uh, yeah, it's, it's as as good as the nineteen ninety five film. I get, but it's not as not as fun as that's, that one. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. I feel like it, it's it's just mediocre. Mm. And normally mediocre would be a C. That's kind of the definition of mediocre. But <laughs> this is boring mediocre. Yeah. This is this is mediocre. That's like it's you can't have a movie with like razor hats. Yeah. And dragon ladies mm. and like head explosions. And at the end, maybe you go, eh. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it, you got to judge that on a curve a little bit. So I just think yeah. ultimately, I, 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 I want to like it. I want to like the Stan <laughs> movie, but I just, I, ultimately, I feel like in the end, I just didn't care for it. So mm-hmm. it's a very high C minus. It's not incompetent, but I just don't generally yeah. care for it. Um, all right. So that's it for the new releases. Uh, now we've got the critically acclaimed streaming club. We got two of these. Uh, the streaming club is where we, while we're mostly watching our movies at home on streaming mm-hmm. services, uh, we are also taking the opportunity to see what else is on those streaming mm-hmm. services, older films that either Whitney or myself or both have never seen before. That's right. And uh, these are decided via poll over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, and uh, we're a little behind on this. So we're going to do two this week. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one is currently available on Amazon Prime. It is Steven Spielberg's The Terminal, which is not the movie most people think of when they think of Steven Spielberg. Well, after, uh, I think it was after Minority Report and Steven Spielberg started to make films that were a lot more overtly political, uh, he sort of, you know, as he was maturing as a filmmaker, I think he became yeah. uh, you know, a much more interesting filmmaker. Uh, but you could tell at around this time he started losing interest in sort of like the action adventure stuff. Mm. Uh, you look at his like War of the Worlds, which he made immediately it's after the a, terminal. More and, of a downer, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like he's not, yeah, he's not interested in sort of like the thrill any longer. He's even even, in, even the last uh, Indiana Jones he made felt a little disingenuous. Yeah, and, and yeah. yeah, and Ready Ready Player One and Tintin. Uh, I know you're a fan of Tintin, but the, I those, it. those feel like more like demo reels. Like he's just playing with digital tools more than anything. I, I, I look at it like Alfred Hitchcock mm. making rope, you mm. know, where like he, he was an experiment. He tried it out. I think it was fun, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they're I don't think successful, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think, yeah. So when uh, the terminal was like, right when he was starting to uh, sort of change a lot as a filmmaker and mm. become a little bit more of uh, a lot more interested in things other than the action adventure that he would had been previously known for, like, you know, his Jurassic parks. And uh, the terminal was sort—it's sort of a riff on Jacques Tati in a lot of ways, mm. especially Jacques Tati's Playtime. If you're familiar with that movie, it's a French film where uh, the filmmaker Jacques Tati built an entire city so he could stage these gigantic, elaborate uh, comedic set pieces where you can see things in windows and how it looks like people in various apartments are interacting with each other in little ways, and they're just these cute little moments of connection, but they make you laugh and they make you feel very pleasant. Uh, and for the terminal, Spielberg built an airport. This is an airport terminal. The entire terminal is a set. Uh, and it stars Tom Hanks as a, a tourist from a, a fictional country called Krakosia. And when he lands it in this airport, which is in New York city, uh, there has been a coup back in his home country mm. and it has ceased to exist. It was like taken while over he was by in another the power. Yeah. yeah. Well, so he lands and he's essentially not a citizen of anywhere. Yeah. His passport is invalid mm. and he's not let into the country because his passport is invalid and he can't get back on the plane because his passport is invalid. And the only thing he did that they can do, and Stanley Tucci is in charge of the, mm. all these services at the airport. All Stanley Tucci can do is just say, you can stay in the airport. And that's mm. all he, he even talks about. Like, you fell through a crack in the system. Mm. Like this is a situation that was never considered when we were putting together this bureaucracy and we don't know what to do with you. So all you have to do is stay here. And Tom Hanks, his character doesn't speak English very well. Mm. So he doesn't know what the hell's happening. All Mm. he knows is he's not allowed to leave the airport and it takes him a while 
to figure out what his actual situation is. And the rest of the movie is this guy trying to live a life in an airport. He can't work because mm. he doesn't live anywhere. He doesn't have a social security number. He doesn't have a place to sleep because there's no place to do that. He doesn't speak the language anyone else speaks. So he's incredibly isolated. Mm. This right. could be just an ab. This could be a Michael Hanukkah film. This could be like yeah, an absolute. I was going to say that, yeah. it, it sounds like the setup for a Kafka story, uh, yeah. but and Spielberg it, is not interested in that. In fact, Spielberg, this was made in 2004 and mm. uh, Spielberg had already made his uh, political film, which did connect to 9-11 when he made Munich, which was the year before this. No, Munich was after this. No, Munich was 2003. I'm, I'm pretty certain. Let me look that up. I don't think that's true. I, I, okay, I'm, I'm going like, to look this up right my, now because I'm pretty sure Munich was a little later here. in the... I, I could have sworn uh, Munich was... Um, oh, hold on. Munich, 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 Munich. Yeah, was, Munich, was at, Munich was 2005, the year after. Oh, well, I... Uh, paint and wall. Shut my mouth. I um, think Minority Report had some vibes to it because it was uh, about like sort of a police state. Yeah. You know? But uh, at, following 9-11, uh, air travel was uh, suddenly very stigmatized. If you look at movies that were shot, uh, take place in airports before 9-11, mm-hmm. you'll see how uh, flights, like air travel used to be something very casual, incredibly lax. You could just, anybody could go in and out of the airport. You, you could, could walk meet right someone the terminal. at the gate yeah. say hi. Yeah. Security was, you just walk through the metal detector and that's kind of, and your bag is on the air, the x-ray and that's kind of it. Yeah. And uh, it became something very kind of frightening and uh, very bureaucratic and very dry and incredibly dull uh, for a lot of travelers. And I think what Steven Spielberg was doing here was, kind of re-mystifying air travel, like turning it into some, <laughs> trying, trying to say that there, there is some soul and spirit that can be found in air travel, like that in travel again. Well, I, what I thought was, I was thinking, uh, oh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. Well, uh, I was just going to, to say, uh, to quote Douglas Adams, mm. uh, he, at the beginning of one of his novels, he started it with, uh, there is no phrase in any language equivalent to pretty as an airport. Uh, because all airports are really ugly. There's some, he even said some of them are so ugly. It can only be the result of a special effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what Spielberg is doing is taking this very sterile place. It's a very commercial place too. It's all just, you know, commercial outlets and Mm -hmm. restaurants and Burger Kings and Barnes and Nobles. There's this really hilarious uh, moment Mm -hmm. where, uh, Stanley Tucci is Mm -hmm. looking down on Tom Hanks and he has nowhere to go. His country no longer exists. He's not allowed through the door to New York city. And he's looking at him through the window of a borders. Yeah. A borders yeah. bookstore, which is cute. <laughs> it's a really cute it, it, image. Uh, so what, uh, what Spielberg is saying is not, not only is there humanity here, but you could conceivably live here. This could yeah. be a home. No, no. I like the idea of an airport as society as microcosm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really interesting. Actually, the idea mm. that it has its own, sort of self-contained ecosystem mm. full of uh, commerce and uh, culture. Um, there's people who work there every single day. They spend the majority of their lives at work. Everyone else is coming to and fro, mm. but there are people who spend every day at the airport working there and they have connections. And a lot of great movies have been about taking workplaces and sort of examining them and looking at them as a sort of a makeshift family. Mm-hmm. Terminal is one of the few films to do that for airports. I've seen TV shows do it like wings, mm. but 
Terminal does a really, really good job of it. And all while, and I, you brought up Kafka, and I think that's a really good thing. I was thinking about this. Like, what if you tell a Kafka-esque story about the absolute prison mm. that is uh, complex bureaucracy, but you told it from the perspective of hope instead of hopelessness? Right. That, and that's totally Spielberg's that, MO. That per- persistence and... Uh, good humor yeah. can carry you through that nightmare. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good framework for Spielberg to work. Because mm. uh, Spielberg is a very optimistic filmmaker. He's, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, kind of his raison uh, d'etre. Yeah, really. I, does, does he have any cynical movies? Um, Like purely cynical? Yeah, I haven't seen 1941. But it's not. It's oh, not. It's, it's, it's satirical, mm. but I wouldn't call it cynical. Um, it, may, it might be as close to six sample though. Um, I guess Jaws has a mean streak, but it, it ends pretty well. Close Encounters of the Third Kind ends with like a dad rejecting his family, but even mm. Spielberg says he wouldn't end it that way yeah. now. Duel, Duel's pretty harsh, but even then it's okay. kind of got a happy ending. Um, yeah, it's not his thing, but, um, there's something very, there's something very striking about this movie in that it is so tiny and intimate and yet it needs to have this big scale in order to work. It needs to have the Spielbergian uh, quality in order to understand the vastness of a situation. Because mm-hmm. there's there's a play you can put of it. There's like a one act play, or there's this could have moved, this movie could have easily been made in a different way in like the early 1940s by like Preston Sturges or mm-hmm. Ernst Lubitsch, and it would have had a very similar vibe. Lots of kooky characters wandering mm-hmm. in and out, a character completely trapped in a bizarre situation. Uh, one person who, in this case, Stanley Tucci, who is like just so annoyed by the fact that they're slipping through the cracks, they're doing mm-hmm. anything they can just to ruin them, just because it'll make them feel better. Mm-hmm. These are all the the elements of a screwball comedy, and there it's definitely screwball comedy bits in here, and they're well earned and they're very very funny. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the genuineness here that really really works for me. Yeah, I, I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, Spielberg's making a light comedy," and no. Actually, Spielberg's making a very dense comedy, I think, with a lot of thought into it. A lot of really wonderful characters. Um, lot, every yeah, single minor performance is really sweet. It's really sweet, and, and there's a, a commentary for it all. Yeah. Uh, the, there's the way uh, workers are exploited, the way we take advantage of immigrants, mm-hmm. um, and there is uh, indeed a, several love stories interwoven throughout all of this uh, that also reveal that genuine human connection can work its way through cynicism about love and relationships. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones plays a a flight attendant who has been having an affair with a married man for a very long time. And uh, Tom Hanks comes into her life and just by being kind makes her realize that you don't have to sort of pursue these cynical relationships on the side on the down low, but you can do something a little bit more genuine than that. And yet it ultimately doesn't feel like as twee as all that. There are actually characters in the movie who make decisions and sacrifices Mm. that hurt them. Then maybe they benefit other people and those are noble sacrifices, Mm. but like, it's not like everyone's going to like have a musical number at the end. There are people who are worse off Mm. in some respects because of this. And I like that the movie doesn't shy away from that. It's the kind of thing that Spielberg is often quick to do is to, right at the end because it seems like he's so affectionate towards the characters and the mm-hmm. story. They just want to give him a mega happy ending. Yeah. And he doesn't quite do that. And I appreciate that. There are characters in this movie who do not get a mega happy ending. Mm. And I think that ultimately makes it feel it's, that's not real. It's, it's arch. 
It's yeah. definitely kind of like a modern fairy tale kind of thing, but I don't know, I think he gets away with it. I actually, mm. this is one of the better, I think this might be one of the better Steven Spielberg movies that no one talks about, of which there are quite a few. Yeah. Like, when was the last time you heard anyone talk about, like, always, you know? But, like, I think this is one that actually, like, really deserves mm. to be rediscovered here. I think it was largely written off at the time as Spielberg's just got to gotta try something and we're just gonna sort of wave it off but like i actually think this is one of the more interesting films in his filmography just in terms of like how it stands kind of differently from all of his other films uh and yet i think if any other filmmaker had done it it would have come out completely different Mm. and i'm glad it exists i really like this movie a lot i'm going to recommend this movie to anyone who listen yeah absolutely um i i saw this when it came out i saw it in theaters Mm. And I remembered being charmed by it. I thought there were some uh, interesting elements. I liked the the mechanics of it more than anything at the mm. time, because he did construct this entire mm. airport, and he gave uh, which, a which lot sounds of... like hubris. But imagine shutting down JFK mm. Airport, which is where it takes place, yeah. to shoot the movie. People mm. would they would wreck the world. Like uh, <laughs> it's a big hub of transportation. Uh, so I I remember just the way he constructed all of it, and the way he started, you know moving the camera around this space and we got a good sense of all of that and the mechanics of what it would be like to live in an airport and how you can construct a, a bed out of those awful airport chairs. Mm-hmm. You know, li- little details like that I thought were really interesting. How do you get a job in an mm-hmm. airport? How do you apply for a job when your address is that terminal where I'm sleeping? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I thought all of that was very charming, but it wasn't until I got to rewatch it that I realized how much Spielberg is really getting at in this movie. And uh, I, I appreciated it a lot more and walked away just completely dazzled yeah. this time about not just the mechanics, but all of the humanity and what he was saying and why it was important to have this type of hope right at that mm-hmm. time in history. Especially at that time yeah. in history, but like, and it's also something that I think is kind of universal. The mm. idea that we are completely at the whim of the paperwork that has been mm. written about us mm. or that we can fill out. Uh-huh. And if that paperwork is not filled out in triplicate or mm-hmm. if the system in which we arrive has not prepared for the situ- for the situation we present to it, mm. there's nothing for us. Yeah. And that's really, really scary. And it, I think it's scary in this movie too, but I think in the end, this movie does have the ultimate point that perseverance and good humor, as you said, uh, matter. I would love to see this as a double feature with The Martian. I yeah. Think, now that's a yeah. work of criticism because I think a lot of people appreciate The Martian mm. for doing a lot of the things that happen in the terminal. Yeah. And well, if you the, show The Martian mm. and then you show The Terminal, I think people are going to see yeah, the, uh, the, what's really going on here. The idea that, that good humor and kindness are uh, vital human survival traits is something that runs through both of these movies. Yeah. And then the, uh, the other film that we had on the, this week's critical uh, game streaming club uh, is a movie that is on Netflix. It's only enough for a couple more days. So we really had to get to this one quick. We did not think that through, uh, yeah, we but didn't think we, we didn't think it would go away. Yeah. We, which of course they do, yeah. which is one of the frustrating things about yeah. streaming or services. Um, uh, but yeah, it's the uh, 1970s horror mm. film, the car. Which is about a car. It's a specifically. It's about a, a, a Lincoln Continental that looks evil. Yeah, it's been, it's like been they souped gave, up and like they gave it like angry eyes. Yeah, and they like squash the top a bit so it like looks a little bit meaner and yeah, and yeah. Uh, and it's talking about a small town running people over. Who's driving it? Hmm, is anyone driving it? Ah. Uh. 
is it a haunted car? What is it doing? Who knows? But it's stalking around. It's it's a stalker slasher movie, but the stalker slasher is a, a car. living car. Yeah. Uh, it's a 70s investigation movie. James Brolin plays uh, the local cop. Ronnie Cox from uh, RoboCop and Star Trek The Next Generation mm-hmm. plays one of the deputies. And he was already kind of a big actor at the time, so I was a little surprised to see him in, like, the third lead. Yeah, it's like a supporting role. Yeah, I mean, not that he was, like, always, like, the star, but he was yeah. usually, like, the second lead, I think, by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, and so it's a small town, and they are besieged by a killer car. The car is running people off the road, like, on large bridges over a cliff. Uh, the car is running over people repeatedly while other people see it. Like the car isn't trying not to be noticed, which is, I think always fun. Um, and then gradually the car gets more and more ambitious and tries to like kill a hundred kids who are like practicing a parade. <laughs> yeah. Like breaks onto like a school campus and starts driving over, tries yeah. to drive over people. And then the kids all run to like a nearby cemetery and the car can't get into the cemetery. Mm. So instead it like, growls like at the foot of the mm. cemetery and like and it, does donuts in the part in the parking lot and, and uh it, it and it pisses off the humans so much that they start yelling at it and, and call, like cussing at it and calling it names that's not wise to do with this car i wouldn't i would if someone's and, uh, trying to kill me even if they're whether or not they're a magical car my first thought probably won't be to try to emasculate them like yeah um, let's just see how far we can push them today well, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you rile you rile them up and they make a mistake uh but yeah, no, it's, i'm just saying it's a hail Mary move. It's yeah, a Hail Mary. That, that leads to work. leads to a wonderful uh scene later on. It's the single static shot uh static shot of the the woman who was insulting the yeah. car on the telephone at night yeah. talking to James Brolin. Yeah. And She's uh, by, uh, Kathleen Lloyd. Kathleen Lloyd is the actress. And uh, yeah. we can see out the window, like while she's on the, the telephone, we see this like night shot out, out the window behind her. Mm. And it's out of focus. And we see a light appear in the window. And she's just <laughs> on the phone. There's no sound. And we see the light get closer and closer. The car is about to charge the house. It's great. You loved this. Um. I did. I did like this. I'm now, surprised. I I, I kind of like this movie. Yeah. I really. I never really. This is the second time I've seen it. Yeah. Well, um, I like it. I, I'm surprised that you. What makes you really get into this movie so much? Well, I've seen a lot of car chases in my day, and sure. usually they're staged in sort of an action scenario. Now, car chases, if you think about it, don't really make a lot of sense. Because what happens when you catch up to the other car? You're still both in cars. You have to stop and get out of the car to get the the other driver. Right. Or, or crash into them, and that's just a car crash. Well, you're, just to, you're just trying to prevent them from getting away. So basically you're following them until they run out of gas, or they have to stop, or you can run them off the road, yeah. or something. But the point is to get them out of the car. You're right. Oh, yeah. So it... You're, you're chasing them in a car. You have to wait until the car stops. That's the end of a car chase. Uh... And then there's like car wrecks and you know motorcycles slam into you. You know the the action scenes that get have gotten a lot more elaborate, but there's always an inherent logic to them. It's just destruction for the sake of it. That's why you put it in, in an action movie. You want to see destruction. You want to mm. see a car get smashed. I see a lot of cars. I wish I could smash those cars. Here's an action <laughs> film. That lets you sort of have that outlet. But next time someone does a Street Fighter movie, mm. please keep in the mini game where they have to beat up a car. Yeah, that just was the smashing best. up a car. Yeah. Uh. The car is a horror movie about a car crash. Mm-hmm. But there's no because there's no driver, it's just an autonomous car. You can have all of those car crashes for the sake of itself, for the mm. sake of its own violence. You get to see that all of this vehicular destruction is actually supposed to be kind of horrific. A car is a monster. 
Mm. It's this big, scary, growling thing that causes explosions. You turn a car upside down, it explodes. I learned that from movies. <laughs> and indeed, there's a scene in this movie where the car pushes another car off of a, of a cliff and it, it tips over right at the edge of the cliff, turns upside down and it explodes immediately. Yeah. It doesn't even hit the ground yet. It just explodes it in midair. Have... It, listen, it's like uh, here comes Mr. Jordan. The car was like, listen, I'm going to die when I hit the bottom of the cliff anyway. I might as well blow up now and have some fun with it. Boom. <laughs> the car just decides to blow up. Why? Well, if I, if mm. an option. Cars can do anything think, they want. I think it repurposes a lot of the language of action car chase cinema into horror, and I find yeah. that incredibly appealing. I and think, uh, and yeah. indeed, it allow, because the car is supernatural, it also allows for some pretty spectacular car stunts. I wish There's it was, a scene where yeah, sorry, uh, two, two uh, sheriff cars are charging at the evil car, and it does a sideways fucking cartwheel <laughs> into the cop cars. Like... Well, fine. I mean, that was a good one. I'll yeah. give you that one. I, that's my thing with this movie. I feel like this movie is a lot of promise and an only okay delivery. I mm-hmm. love the premise. The premise, I mean, the way the movie frames it, it's basically Jaws. It's yeah. uh, there's there's a small town. People are getting killed by a car, and at first, the authorities are like, "Well, that's that sucks. We should do something about that." And then it, people just keep getting killed by the car, and then it's a matter of what can we do about it. Mm-hmm. We can put up roadblocks, but it's not leaving the town, so it doesn't really fucking matter. Uh, no one gets the, the make isn't uh-huh. specific. It doesn't have a, a license plate. So this is why I thought it was an, uh, an interesting double feature with the terminal, because it's kind of about the failure of bureaucracy <laughs> to save this town. We're like, oh, there's a car killing people. Great. Is there do we have any training for that? None. What the fuck do we have cops for? Mm. And there you go. Um, but yeah, I feel like the actual car stuff in this movie ranges from occasionally mm. really cool and you've kind of listed the good bits hmm. to fine. And that's the thing. I feel like this <laughs> it's, is, it's, I, it's a seventies movie. So there I, are bits where there's just human interaction that are, a little I don't want the human interaction. I yeah. actually think they actually did a pretty good job of giving all of the minor characters in this movie enough personality that they feel real. Mm. I always appreciate that. I think that's a super important thing, no matter what you're writing, any small character, I don't care if they have only one line, mm. you get it. Like there's a, there's a character who comes in like the, the sheriff, you know, the lead sheriff dies, he gets killed by the car, and then uh, James Brolin has to take over. And The sheriff dies, and the coroner shows up, or the uh, the guy who runs the morgue, and he's just like, the guy had no next of kin, I need you to sign this stuff. And James Brolin's like, oh, okay. Hey, listen, we'll take up a collection uh, to uh, to pay for all the expenses. And the morgue guy's like, I, I knew him, you don't have to. And I'm like, there you go, he had a relationship, he existed mm. within this town. Yeah. He doesn't just serve a function, he had a connection and that gave the actor a little something to play like he's actually mourning this person yeah. that character is three lines and they're a real <laughs> character and i really like that and and uh there's um a, a scene early on where there's a, a a guy sitting by the side of the road hitchhiking and he's playing french horn he has a conversation with another character yeah he doesn't have a big part in the plot no. but he but he has a lot of personality yeah uh there's this uh horrendous like a, abusive husband character oh. who uh is witness to a lot of the car stuff. So he thinks he might be crazy for a little bit. And there's this like dark tales from the crypt element to it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I hate the character is an abusive, oh, yeah. abusive asshole, but everybody around him has knows about him and has a relationship with him. And, and there are people you know, who are trying to like, trying to get him. Yeah, and trying to yeah, get yeah, him. And, I appreciate yeah. that. 
So yeah, there's a lot of these interpersonal dynamics that are really good. Yeah, I'll, like the, I'll, so the character stuff I was fine with. The stuff for me that fell a little short is just the car stuff. Oh. And I feel like, you know, if this movie had been made, and this is going to sound like a cliche, but let's just be frank here. This movie had been made in Australia. It would have been <laughs> so much cooler. Like the car movies yeah. that were coming out of Australia around this time. This mm. is like a little bit before like, Mad Max. Like but road games, that kind yeah, of stuff. Stunt rock. Like there's all kinds of like really cool car movies that were being made that were just really death-defying, daring, stunt-filled, action-packed car movies that were shot in this really exciting way. And I think there's the occasional awesome shot in this movie, but mm. I don't really get that sense of acceleration. I don't really get that sense of of power, of like yeah. the grinding of the gears, you know, that I feel like really could have made this movie. Mm. And it's still fine. It's, it's a good watch. I like it. But like, mm-hmm. I feel like it could have made it amazing with just a little bit more zazz. Um, this movie was directed by a uh, director. Elliot Silverstein is his Elliot name. Elliot Silverstein, who had an interesting career. He directed Cat Baloo, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, is you know Academy Award winner. Won uh, Lee Marvin his Oscar for Best Actor. Uh, he directed the Western A Man Called Horse. Uh, he directed mm-hmm. several Tales from the Crypt episodes, including The Reluctant Vampire, which I always liked. It's the one with uh, Malcolm McDowell as a vampire who works in a blood bank. Yeah, it's really, really sweet. And, and, and how George Went figures out that he's a vampire. Uh, he also did several episodes of The Twilight Zone, and he's a good director, a lot of varied uh, material here. Mm-hmm. I think that's all really, really solid. I think this is just a, for me, this is like a three star movie. This is like above right. average. Like the, This is a concept that could have just been terrible, mm-hmm. and I think they filmed it rather well. It's a little derivative. But it's pretty good, but I don't think it's as good as this movie can get. Okay. And so that's what it boils down to for me. Is I just feel like this is a solid movie, but there are maybe more exciting ways to do this. And I would kind of be interested in seeing this being done again. There were a couple of other movies that were very similar to this. Uh, the Duel. Wraith. We well, about Duel. Duel, yeah. The Wraith with mm. Charlie Sheen, which is bad really bad <laughs> it's quite bad it's entertainingly bad mm. like it's weirdly bad yeah and i was actually having this conversation with uh my wife and partner and mm. i was like what do you think would win in a fight the car or the wraith mm. and she was just like the car would win no the question was uh uh where, <laughs> i say where, that as if it's where, obvious where where where, where, where is the fighting take place mm. and uh who has prep time that's always the question who has prep time does the first, car have prep first time all, first of all the car is a car what's it gonna prepare <laughs> it doesn't have hands it can prepare anything it wants it's a mm. magical car i suppose so. i do one thing i do think is interesting is that they never even try to explain the origin of the car nope the car is supernatural and it hates and that's it it wasn't wronged mm. it isn't like possessed by a serial killer it's not like we, people we like accidentally yeah, like we... did a satanic rite in like a body shop or nothing like nothing never explained it's just a supernatural mm. car and you would think that that would make it feel like something's missing but it actually doesn't it actually is fine I actually was totally cool with that um Anyway, the car. Uh, it's on Netflix. Check it out while you can. Uh, I'm sure it will continue to be available in some form in various other streaming services and home videos. Mm. Uh, so if you're super interested in it, please check it out. Uh, next time on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, uh, we're going to be talking about movies on Shudder that are on Shudder and our mm. movies. Uh, Shudder is the, the, horror, the horror movie streaming service. Yeah, it's dedicated almost exclusively to the horror genre or things that are horror adjacent. Mm. Uh, Whitney has chosen on the uh, mm. streaming service of Shudder uh, the films Black Sabbath, 
which is a horror anthology film from the great Mario Bava. And uh, what was the other one? Uh, the Devils. The Devils. I have, is, I have not seen The Devils. Which is also leaving the service pretty quick. So yeah. if you want to follow along with The Devils, if that wins the poll over on patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, mm. every tier can vote for the polls. Uh, so mm. even if you're $1 a month, you get to vote for future episodes. Uh, so he, The Devils, which is a classic uh, Ken Russell film, uh, and uh, Black Sabbath, and the films that I have picked are Bay of Blood, which is considered one of the prototypical slasher movies. It's arguably the biggest hole in my horror movie education. And also uh, a more recent horror film that I've heard amazing things about, and I keep looking for an excuse to get around to it, Lake Mungo, which I know a lot of people think is one of the better horror films of the last 20 years. So yeah, I've um, heard, heard nothing but positive things about Lake Mungo. Same here, but I've never got around to it and lo- always looking for an excuse. So uh, one of those films will win the critically acclaimed uh, streaming club poll and to vote on it go to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network thank you to all of our patrons without whom this show and any of our other shows would not be able to exist thank you thank you from the bottom of our hearts thank you you're amazing uh if you want to uh contribute to the show that's the best way to do it if you can't afford to do that uh follow us on twitter we're at critic acclaim i'm at William Bibiani. i'm at whitney seibold be sure to subscribe wherever you subscribe to your podcasts leave us a review wherever you find us that really helps a lot we cannot accentuate that enough like that really helps us find more audience um and of course we would love to hear from you you can uh either tweet us at our various tweets at critic acclaim at William Bibiani, at when it's or you can email us letters at critically acclaimed.net is our email address we might read your email and respond to it on an upcoming episode of we've got mail right here at the critically acclaimed network and of course we got soap over at etsy go to etsy and look for salt cat soap all one word we have a lot of new soap designs and um first saturday of the month we drop a whole lot of new soap designs and we got some really cool stuff coming up for may but a lot of the stuff from april is still available uh so please check it out and thank you to everybody who's already purchased some and look for some reviews the reviews are really awesome so far we're really grateful for you so uh that is it for this week i think that's it cool never forget everyone's a critic i want to go to the midnight show i'm sorry what <laughs>